2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Brethren, let us hear God's word. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. Well, brethren, we take up a new uh, section in our study on the doctrine of God's grace this evening. As we have seen in our studies thus far, each member of the Holy Trinity, each member of the Blessed Godhead, participates in the salvation of sinners. The Father purposed salvation. Now, we have studied the Word of God, and it plainly reveals to us that the Father predestined a people for salvation and gave them to His Son that He might deliver them from their sins. At the appointed time, the Son came into the world and accomplished salvation for His people. However, election and redemption are not all there are to this glorious salvation. The Holy Spirit applies Christ's redeeming work by regenerating the elect and bringing them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the Father purposed salvation, the Son accomplished salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation to the elect sinner. And we call the doctrine of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit's regenerating work efficacious grace. Efficacious grace. It's also known as irresistible grace or even effectual calling. <clears throat> I uh, believe that the word efficacious uh, and uh, together with grace again is a more accurate term than irresistible grace. It isn't that we entirely disagree with the idea of irresistible grace. But the fact is, quite often, uh, there are those who uh, misunderstand our position to mean that when we say irresistible grace, that the grace of God is always something that cannot be resisted. And as we will see, the Scriptures plainly teach that there are times when men resist the grace of God. Well, efficacious grace, meaning grace that accomplishes what it's supposed to, I think uh, is more in harmony with our doctrine. Efficacious means producing or capable of producing a desired effect. It works. does what it's supposed to do. Efficacious grace means that the Holy Spirit never fails to successfully bring the elect to Christ. That's what we mean by efficacious 
grace. Let me repeat that. Efficacious grace means the Holy Spirit never fails to successfully bring the elect to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In His way and time, the Spirit applies salvation to every sinner He intends to save. And His intention is to save every one of God's elect. Brethren, I would say, this is the one doctrine that clearly sets apart those who believe the doctrine of grace from those who reject it. Some people think that, well, all those people that uh, believe in predestination, that's, that's the doctrine that makes them different. Uh, the doctrine of election, that's the doctrine that makes them different. Uh, their doctrine of the atonement, that's what makes them different. Very often we think that way. But at least to my experience, and the more I study and the more I deal with these issues, the more I'm convinced that the, the one single doctrine that sets apart this system from all of the rest in professing Christianity is the doctrine of efficacious grace. And the reason is because uh, we believe in what we refer to as monergistic regeneration. Big words. And not uh, the word monergistic is not a word that's in the Bible. But the... Uh, <coughs> Uh, the prefix mon means only one party operates. And uh, the ergistic part uh, comes from the root that means to work. So monergistic regeneration means that only one party operates in the matter of regeneration. And that's the Holy Spirit. All other views, all other views are synergistic. Again, these may be terms that uh, we're not familiar with using, but synergistic, uh, uh, sin means with. So uh, synergism means man cooperates with the Holy Ghost in the new birth. So more than any other doctrine, as far as the heart of how salvation is applied, this doctrine sets apart what we understand as our system of doctrine from all the rest. Because we do not believe that man helps God save him. We're not saying that men do not do certain things. As we unfold this doctrine, it's absolutely clear that men must repent and men will repent. Men must believe. God will not believe for them. He will not repent for them. But, those are fruits of being born again. Not what we do in order to get God to birth us into His kingdom. I hope this is not confusing. This is very important. It lies at the very heart of the distinction between what we understand to be salvation by grace and what we would call synergistic salvation, where God 
works along with man as man helps God birth him into the kingdom. All other systems, in some way or another, are a form of synergism. So, let me say this. It must be very clear from the outset of our study here that we do not mean, when we say efficacious grace, we do not mean that every gracious calling of God to sinners is effectual. The Scriptures don't teach that. And we do not believe that. Not all gracious acts of God toward men are irresistible. The Word of God teaches very plainly in some places that there are times when the grace of God is resisted by men. So we have to understand that efficacious grace means those times of God sending His Spirit to successfully open the hearts of His elect. And that brings us to consider then the subject of calling. Before we get to the new birth, we want to understand this issue of calling with which it is um, connected. So tonight we want to consider two things. The general or external call and the effectual or inward call. So we want to begin this evening with the general or external call of God. Now there are two expressions of what we refer to as the general call. If you're not familiar with these terms as we work through some of these passages, I think you'll begin to see uh, what we're referring to here. God revealing Himself in creation and providence to all persons at all times and places by which one knows that God is and in some measure what He is like. This is what we call general revelation. The general call has two expressions. General revelation and special revelation. So general revelation as part of the external call to men is as I just defined it. It's God revealing Himself in creation and providence to all persons at all times and places by which one knows that God is and in some measure what He is like. Because it is accessible to all men, it is called general. That's why we call it the general call. <clears throat> and because it it is apparent to the mind of men, but does not save them as such, it is called the external call. All right? Turn to Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare... The glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is what we mean by general. 
It's available to all men. All men everywhere since creation have been able to see the creation of God and know that He's there. And they do know that He's there. Atheists are not born that way. They convince themselves of their position. But they're not born that way. All men know that God exists. And that is because of general revelation. And uh, we, we see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And the word from means since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead. We see in what God has done. When we walk out and we see the glories of a uh, a fall evening or a winter evening, you know, some of those evenings that are very clear, there's not a cloud in the sky, it's crisp, and you see millions of stars, and you see the expanse and glory of the heavens, and you, your, your heart and mind are filled with wonder as you think of what kind of power hung those stars. Uh, all men everywhere hear that voice. And they all know that within them, in them, someone put that there. When they look at the glories of the mountains or the depths of the valleys, when they see the mighty rages and storms of the seas, all of these things speak of God's power. And that's why Paul goes on to say, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. But the thing is, even in their darkened condition, even, do the, even though they do not know God in a saving way, all men hear and see the knowledge of God in what He has made. That's the first expression of the general call. It's not enough to save men. It is enough to damn them. Because it tells them there is a God. So, general revelation tells us there is a God, but it doesn't tell us how we may know God. And that is why God in His grace and His mercy has given us special revelation. Special revelation is God's revealing His gracious redemptive purpose in Christ Jesus using various infallible means. Now the most important expression of special revelation are the incarnate Word and the inscripturated Word. But we're not going to take the time to break down special revelation into all of its parts, but we're just going to zero in on the most important ones, especially for our purpose this evening. And that is the fact that God has revealed Himself most clearly to men in His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, the Incarnate Word, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us and revealed the living 
Father to us. Secondly, hand in hand with the incarnate word is the inscripturated word. The Bible. God has given us special revelation in these 66 books by which we know the God that created the heavens and the earth. That is why all men, knowing, knowing that there is a God, are held accountable to Him. But when they open up the Bible, they find out exactly who that God is. General revelation holds them accountable. Special revelation not only tells them who made the worlds and all that in them is, but that this is a God of holiness, a God of grace and mercy and love in His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, that He came to save sinners. God has revealed Himself in His incarnate Word and in His inscripturated Word. So, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Many be called. What's he referring to? Here again, he's talking about the general call of the gospel. We have the general call in creation, but we also have the general call of the gospel. We see it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God has commanded us to take the revelation of who He is and what His will is in His Holy Son, Christ Jesus. And we're to take the declaration of that good news. We're to take the revelation of the incarnate Word. We're to preach the inscripturated Word and tell all men everywhere to repent and believe the Gospel. That's the general call. That's the external call. It goes to the ears of men. But very often, tragically, it goes no further. So this is what we call then the general or outward call of God in His creation and from special Revelation. And that brings us to then the effectual call or the inward call. And when we deal with the issue of efficacious grace, we are ultimately dealing with the order of salvation. Now, in theology, we call that the ordo salutis. But we're dealing with the, the order of salvation. Another way of saying this is that when we study this doctrine, we're attempting to answer the question, how and when does God apply salvation to a sinner? How and when does God apply salvation to a sinner? God is a God of order. And His order is displayed in all of creation. And this can especially... uh, be seen in the doctrine of salvation. Now I want to put a footnote here. We have to be very cautious when we talk about the order of salvation. We're talking about something that we seem to see 
laid out in an order in the Word of God. But we must be careful because we are ultimately studying a miracle of God's grace. And that's not something you can put under a microscope. So we need to be very careful with this issue of the order of things. But, having said that, we do seem to see a general order of the way God deals with men laid out in the Scriptures. That brings us to these words that are used throughout the New Testament, call and calling and called. Paul and the other New Testament writers use it most often to describe the power, uh, the powerful and effectual calling of God, the Holy Spirit, unto faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. There's the word called. Now notice there is a them here. And we looked at this when we studied predestination. But now we are looking at the unfolding of salvation. And it says, To them who are the called according to His purpose. This is His sovereign purpose in Christ Jesus for the salvation of sinners. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them. There it is again. Them He also called. Them He also called. That's very, very important. Them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Here we have laid out the glories of God's sovereign purpose. From eternity, God has purposed to save The Lord Jesus Christ accomplishes that salvation. And then God in His mercy calls them. Those who are called according to His purpose. This is distinguishing grace. It is particular grace. It is not a grace bestowed upon all people. And whom He called, them He also justified. Now, this idea of calling is this glorious, effectual work of God the Holy Spirit in accordance with God the Father's glorious and wonderful plan of salvation. Now, we see that laid out for us in John chapter 6. If you'll turn to John 6 and look at verse 35. This makes good commentary on the passage that we just read in Romans 8. John chapter 6, verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. 
He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. So there are people that believe, and people that believe not. What we want to ask is, why is it that some people believe, and others believe not? Well, it tells us, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And the word come means, or, or I should say is synonymous with, believing on Christ. We're going to see that parallel uh, here in just a moment in this same passage. He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Notice, the responsibility is the Son's. He sent me to do something. And as we know very plainly uh, from our studies in 1 John and from other studies in the doctrine of grace, this whole idea of the Son being sent ultimately ends upon the cross and in His glorious resurrection, accomplishing for His people a full and free salvation. So when we hear of Christ being sent, we are hearing the unfolding of God's eternal purpose for the salvation of His people. I came down from heaven. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured. They grumbled. They didn't like this talk. Because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Now what did he say just a few minutes ago? Ye believe not. What are they manifesting in, the, in those sentences? They're unbelief. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Stop your grumbling. No man can. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Now listen to what the Lord Jesus says. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Alright, we have people that don't believe, and there are people that do believe. Christ Jesus has been sent by the Father to gather up all those that believe. And why is it that those that do believe exercise that faith? Because they have been taught of the Father. Why do those who disbelieve live in their infidelity? Because they have not been taught by the Father. They may hear an external call. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. 
And they said, give us this bread. And he said, all right, I'm the bread. And they said, look, this is Joe and Joseph and Mary's son. What, what's he talking about? They heard an external call. Jesus said, anyone that eats of this bread, he's never going to hunger. You drink here, you're never going to thirst. But they went on in their hunger. And they went on in their thirst. They were not taught of God. They are still in their disbelief and their rebellion. We can hear the external call, but it is only when we have the internal, the effectual call that we will believe, that we will come. And all those that come, Christ will raise up at the last day. Now, this glorious prophecy, or I should say this glorious statement of Christ, is fulfillment of prophecy. But it says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. The direct reference is uh, Isaiah 54, 13, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Why is their peace great? Because they're drawn to Christ, taught by the Father, special revelation that becomes real in their own hearts and minds. This also goes hand in hand with Jeremiah 31, 33, which is wonderful new covenant truth. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. In other words, God the Father is going to teach them. He's going to instruct them. Their very hearts are going to be the, the blackboard or the tablet upon which He writes His eternal truth. What will be the outcome of this writing, this instructing? I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I'm going to instruct them to be my people. I'm not going to put my law on tablets of stone that will be external to them and that they can take as a covenant and break. I'm going to come and write upon their hearts I'm going to instruct them and change their hearts. And then it says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. This is God's glorious teaching. This is His calling. This is the internal call. I will write it in their inward parts. I'm going to do something to them internally, efficaciously. I'm going to successfully instruct those hearts. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, that we began with tonight, says, Who hath saved us and called us. God hath saved us. How is it that He saved us? He called us. This is the effectual call. Not according to our works, but according to His own 
purpose, and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God in His mercy gave us to Christ before the world began. He was sent of the Father to gather them up. Many are called in the general call, but few are chosen. Why do those chosen come? Because they shall all be taught of God. All those that God the Father instructs, all those that He teaches, He draws to the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an effectual calling that Paul is talking to Timothy about. It was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But Timothy and Paul experienced it in history. Brethren, when we're talking about effectual calling, when we're talking about efficacious grace, we're talking about God's eternal purpose, His glorious predestinated plan in Christ to save His people being worked out in history. We're seeing the very uh, glories of the Spirit applying what God has purposed for His dear children. That is glorious. We see, we see God's sovereign purpose in this little gathering. This is the historical expression of God's saving purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. This is why Christians are spoken of this way. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we will see as this unfolds in the weeks ahead, it is the Holy Spirit that is doing the calling in the actual application of the Word. God calls by His Spirit using His glorious, special revelation. Our hearts are instructed by Him, and we are made alive to receive the truth. God is faithful by whom ye were called. This, this use by Paul always means the call that results in people coming to Christ. The internal call, written on the heart by the power of God and those whom God will, God the Son will raise in the last day. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How did that happen? Well, my, I had a godly mother. I had a godly father. They taught me from the Scriptures from the time I was young. Or, I was a, a rebel rouser. A, a rabble rouser. I was a, 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 a wild. I was a rebel. And uh, a friend of mine was radically changed. And he came and began to tell me how Christ changed his life. And I, I began to listen. And I began to read the Scriptures. Or I attended a meeting. And... Uh, I thought I'd been a Christian for years. But as, as the man opened up the Word of God and began to preach, I began to realize and know that I was lost. 
Oh, I had talked about religion, but I never knew the living God. doesn't matter what experience we paint in here. We can fill in the blanks with all the various details, but there's always one truth that's common to all salvation. God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, draws us to believe His special revelation. General revelation calls all men. But the internal call successfully brings the elect to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You've been set apart by the Holy Spirit to be the set-apart ones, which is what saints means. We've been set apart by God for His holy use. How did He set us apart? Paul says it this way, Who maketh thee to differ? Why aren't you out pursuing the sins you used to love tonight? Those of you that that lived carelessly in the world, why are you here? Why do you want to hear the Word of God? Christ said it. No No one can come to me except the Father draw him. The Father draws him. And He draws him by the Spirit. Sanctified in Christ Jesus set apart, called to be set apart ones, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's true about every Christian. We'll close with Romans chapter 1, verse 7. It says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. What lies at the heart of that calling? It is not some sterile, dry, dusty old doctrine of predestination. It is the eternal love of God for His dear children. Sending His Spirit in His way, in His time, to every single one of His children. Young, old, everything in between, rich, poor, every conceivable race, every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every nation, the Holy Spirit comes and calls men in a general way by the outward preaching of the Gospel. But every one of His children hears that call and comes because the Spirit of God has given Him eyes to see, ears to hear, and He believes on the resurrected Lord of glory. He sees his sins and he believes that Christ is the only Savior. Taught of God. Effectually called. Efficacious grace. Brethren, he hath called us with an holy calling. Let's pray.
Thank you, Father, for these glorious, glorious truths. Oh, Father, they cause us to bow our heads in solemn and sober praise. Why? Why didn't you leave us in our darkness? We deserve nothing but thy fury and thy wrath. But in your everlasting love and kindness, your Son accomplished salvation that the Holy Spirit comes and applies to our hearts. You draw us to your precious Son by the power of your Spirit. What great salvation. Oh, Father, if there is one who does not know that tonight, who does not know you, who have you, you have not drawn to yourself yet. Oh, by your great spirit, by your great power, by your great word, call him to Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said 
that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.